On today's show, Amin and Asar Thompson working out for the Portland Trailblazers, what that means for the Houston Rockets at pick number four and any potential interest that the Blazers might actually have in making that selection at pick number three versus trading out from that pick. Also, we'll take a look at some of the lessons to be learned from this year's postseason play. We'll take a look at the Boston Celtics, the Miami Heat, and the Denver Nuggets and how what some of those teams have done or haven't done can be applied back to your Houston Rockets. It's all coming up right here at Locked on Rockets. This is Mission Control Houston. Ignition sequence start. The Houston Rockets select Jalen Green, Alperon Shengun, and Jabari Smith Jr. T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. Every time I step on that floor, I'm coming. Hey, Houston fans, I am so happy. You're getting somebody who's going to come in with a chip on their shoulder, somebody who's going to come, come in and compete from day one. Six, five, four, three, two. One. What's up and welcome to another edition of Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin, native Houstonian and credentialed media member. I'm also the host of Locked on NBA Mondays. Be sure to follow along on Twitter at JT Gatlin. And the show, of course, at Locked on Rockets, free and available wherever you listen to your podcast, including YouTube. Just go to YouTube, search Locked on Rockets. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Now, today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked on today to get started. And as always, thank you so much for making Locked on Rockets part of your day every single day, whether it's on the way to work, on your lunch break, in the gym. Thank you for making LOR part of your day every single day. Joining us now is your weekly co-host, the X's and O's man himself, Ali Khan Bajani, who can track down on Twitter at Rockets underscore Insider. And we've got like an interesting kind of smorgasbord of a show for you here today where in a minute we want to focus in on some of the potential lessons that these young Houston Rockets can maybe learn from what we've seen going on throughout this year's NBA playoffs. And we're going to specifically look at three teams, the Boston Celtics, the Miami Heat, and then the Denver Nuggets. Nuggets and some of the things that we might be able to learn about those teams and then apply them to your Houston Rockets. But first thing we're going to touch base on here is the Portland Trailblazers going through their pre-draft process and routines and all this. And the first set of lottery names they've brought in to perform workouts and all that good stuff, the Thompson twins. And I I wonder if a, it, it gets tiring, like, if you're the Thompson twins, Alicon to have to go in as a duo everywhere you go. Like, I wonder if they just get tired of that. If they're just like, come on, can you like, just, just bring me like, leave my brother at home. Like, I just want to come in and do my thing and don't have to worry about how good he does in this workout, but they're going to be attached to the hip for the entirety of their NBA careers. But it's interesting because the more that I think about it and the more that we hear news and speculation about what's going to happen on draft night, the more that I think the Blazers might just find themselves in the hole of not having a trade partner for that number three pick. And they might be, get kind of backed into a corner where they have to make that selection at number three. And that directly impacts what happens for the Houston Rockets at pick number four. I'm I, I when the whole draft lottery happened and we talked about it, a part of me was thinking, oh, at this point, I'm resigned to the Rockets just taking a Thompson twin or Whitmore or Walker. But the more I kind of read between the lines, see the tea leaves, see what happened in Chicago um, during the combine, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion 
the Rockets have one of Miller or Scoot Henderson available at four. Um, just by talking to people around the league, especially after Chicago, there was a lot of hype with Amen Thompson and his brother. Both the twins are excelling um, in their workouts. They're interviewing really well. You you saw you saw Amon's vertical leap, man. His vertical is insane. And, and you know stuff like that. You know, I I I heard two really good comparisons for Amen this past weekend, and I want to share those with the listeners. I heard Sean Livingston before his knee injury early in his career, and I heard Josh Giddy again. I've mentioned Josh Giddy on the show here a few weeks ago. That's pretty good, you know, if you're bringing a guy who wants to be a point guard in this league. But, Jackson, back to you. You've talked about this a lot these last few shows. You know, if Portland takes Amen, right, or they take the they, – they, they take one of the twins, you know, the Rockets can end up with either of the twins who are going up in, in, in draft stock who have some raw skills that you can develop really well. Or Brandon Miller or Scoot Henderson, and the more I, you know, I watch this process, the more comfortable I get that whoever they pick at four is going to bring somebody that they can bring in and have them complement whatever type of style they want to play. And so I'm pretty optimistic about what's going to happen here moving forward. Yeah, and and I think no matter what, the Rockets are going to be able to walk away with a great player here. What what becomes so interesting to me is. I think Portland is at a at a place where, again, their messaging has been crystal clear that they want to run it back again with Dame. And it doesn't, at this point, really seem like they've got an ideal trade partner lined up for that number three pick, or at least if they do have their eyes on certain players around the league, whether it's, again, a Mikhail Bridges, which it could just be posturing with the Nets saying he's unavailable, or a Pascal Siakam or an OG Ananobi package from the Toronto Raptors or after the way the Celtics flamed out in game seven, maybe it's a Jalen Brown deal. Like there are options out there, but they may not ultimately come to terms on one of those deals that makes sense and that they feel good about. And if you're the Blazers and you have to make that selection, to me, there is at least enough of an argument to be made that guys like Asar Thompson, uh, Cam Whitmore, guys who are a better fit in Portland next to a Damian Lillard, you take one of those guys instead of maybe taking an Amon Thompson or a Scoot Henderson if he's still on the board, if Charlotte goes with Brandon Miller at number two, you take one of those guys, or hell, you just take Brandon Miller if he's there at number three because he would be the perfect complimentary piece next to Damian Lillard if you have to make that selection. And so that's why the more that I keep thinking about this and how that that top order of picks might play out for the Rockets, we aren't at a place where we can just safely say, oh, it's going to be definitely one of these guys, right? There's so many moving little parts and whatnot. Uh, so much of the speculation has been, oh, well, Portland's going to trade that pick. So, like, what team are they going to trade it to? And is that team potentially interested in one of the Thompson twins at number three or a Cam Whitmore at number three or a Jairus Walker might jump up into that top three area? And I think this this little piece of news, right, as small as it is, right, reading, you know, the tea leaves on this, the fact that they're starting to bring in prospects. Obviously, you know, they're doing their due diligence. They're just going through the pre-draft cycle like everybody else. But... The fact that they're bringing in the Thompson twins as their first set of guys that they're bringing in to work out, that I think that tells us something, right? That they might be 
heavily considering the idea of just drafting that pick and going for a guy who is more of a f- better, just a better fit next to a Dame because uh, Amin is that long-term play, right? He's an engine. He's a guy that you're going to want to put the ball in his hands and let him kind of run things. And I don't necessarily think you can simultaneously develop an Amin Thompson and a Damian Lillard side-by-side. Maybe you can. Maybe you just play Dame off ball and you give Amin some run. But Dame isn't exactly the type of guy I think that wants to sit here and handhold another rookie through their rookie season and teach them the ropes of being an NBA player, especially if they're trying to run it back and actually make try to make some noise in the West next season. Yeah, I just my point on this would be look at it from a fit perspective that they do draft, they keep the draft pick. Obviously, Brandon Miller will be number one from a fit perspective because he'd be able to slide in and play a position that's not guard. So he'd be able to play at the wing, immediately start next to Damian Lillard and go from there. I think you have to look at this from another other perspective. If you do bring in a point guard, whether it's Ahmed, um, or it's Asar, when it or it's um, Scoot Henderson, Henderson, who is the best fit next to Dane? To me, I think you don't want to bring in a player who, who is going to take a year or two to develop. And if that's the case, I think you draft Scoot first. Just as well says, from a fit perspective. Then it would be Amen and Osir, Osir. So it's like, I think from that perspective, it's still likely the Rockets could be in a position to get Scoot, Amen, or Osar going at pick number four without having to make any sort of move to be able to trade up. Or even better, if the Detroit Pistons like one of the twins better and you're happy with the other twin, you could drop down a five and pick up an extra asset. So I think a lot of, a lot of, Things really depend on what Portland is going to do, not necessarily Charlotte. I don't think Charlotte's going to trade the pick. I think they're going to keep the pick to be able to add to LaMelo um, and what they want to be able to do. But I think the draft truly, people have been saying draft starts at two. I think draft starts at three. Depending on what Portland does with their pick, it can be a big, big kind of domino, not only for the Rockets, but I think for, for the Pistons, even going towards the Jazz, going towards the Mavericks, being able to see teams that you know potentially may need a point guard who will move up who may move down i think detroit is somebody maybe potentially if if depending on the draft board shakes out the first three or four picks they may want to be a trade candidate with the rockets to be able to move up to get maybe one of those twins they like that's your latest little bit of draft info intel kind of trying to read the tea leaves here as we get closer and closer to this fateful day but coming up we're going to get into some of the lessons that maybe we can learn from this year's postseason run we're going to take a look at three different teams the Boston Celtics the Miami Heat and the Denver Nuggets two of which getting ready to square off in the NBA Finals and stuff that we might be able to learn about those teams and then apply or hopefully can be applied back to your Houston Rockets we're going to get there in just one moment but first today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs because right now new customers can get a no-sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's $2,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't pay out. And they've got so many great wagers available for you over at FanDuel right now. The odds for the Denver Nuggets to win the NBA title, minus 500. The Miami Heat are plus 360 to be the outright champions of this season. Some other wagers for you to take a look at. Nikola Jokic to score 40-plus points in any NBA Finals game, currently plus 140. Michael Porter Jr. to score 30 plus points in any finals game is plus 1,000. And then Jimmy Butler to have a 40 plus burger in any of the finals games is plus 175. 
So for all those odds and more, be sure to go check out FanDuel. There's no better place for all the playoff action on America's number one sportsbook. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and get a no sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NBA. And continuing on here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Now, I'm going to let Ali kind of drive the bus here because we both have some takeaways and thoughts from what we've seen out of these three teams that we want to hit here, the the Heat, the Celtics, and the Nuggets, and kind of what we've learned about them through this postseason and some of the stuff that we might be able to take back and, and hopefully see applied to the Houston Rockets moving forward as they're kind of, you know, nearing the end of phase one, entering phase 1.5, maybe phase two, depending on how things look by the end of this offseason. Alec, I'm going to let you drive the bus here for a second. Which team do you want to talk about first? I want to go with the Miami Heat. Okay. Uh, what about the Miami Heat stands out? I'll let you, I'll let you drive for a minute. The, just the fact that they have such a great structure in place. They have great leadership up top. They have a great head coach who I consider the best head coach in basketball. They have two star, like two solidified foundational pieces at different positions at the kind of the guard forward and then also at the big level. Then you have rotational pieces surrounding them. And then you add a good coaching staff, good player development. I mean, it's just a great foundational. I mean, just a lot, a lot of great foundational pieces in that organization to be able to build off of not just for this run, not just in previous runs, but most importantly for future runs as well. So they're a model franchise for me. And one thing I thought was really interesting is after the Miami Heat won game seven, Coach Spolster was asked about why their defense is so successful, why the zone was so successful. And the answer he gave is something that I really want to compare it to what the Rockets do. I know I know it's not all about scheme, but you guys are able to sprinkle in zone a good amount uh, tonight. How important has just that defensive versatility and versatility in general for this team been? Uh, along this path. Yeah, you know, I think the, the versatility. Come on, Mr. Butler. Come on. Come on. Uh, the versatility and toughness and guys like this that drive it, you know. If your best players aren't defenders, it's hard to create a good defense. We have Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. They care about defending and doing the tough things. It's pretty easy to figure out the rest of the stuff. And schematics are, are not it. It's doing, committing to doing tough things. All right? Appreciate all. You heard that desk slap, Ali Khan, that little that, you know, when Spo was like, get over here, Mr. But that was a championship caliber, a desk slap. That was nothing like the uh... not getting after it like they're supposed to. <laughs> Sorry. Oh. Any, any chance I have to bring back that clip? <laughs> I can't. Anyway. All right. No, no. Let's 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 actually focus in on what on what Spo had to say, because it, it's a it's an important point to make. Right. Is, you know, we talk about you know, hashtag heat culture, like all that. But that, like the fact that Bam and Jimmy are legitimate, like defensive guys and they have that defensive mindset that starts from the top down, right? Just whatever you, you call it, trickle down defense if you want to. Uh, but it they, they set the tone as the best players for the team. And then the other guys have to match that intensity. They have to match that desire on the defensive side. And, he did kind of downplay, you know, scheme and whatever, which obviously scheme is important, right? Be it, you know, the techniques of defense, like all that does play a factor. But 
I do feel like, and I agree with Spo at, at least in this regard, so much about defense is just want to, right? It's about desire. It's about wanting to be a good defensive team. And when you're two guys at the top, when two of your leaders show that desire and that heart, that passion, whatever, every single game to go out there and do the tough things, it makes it a lot easier to then also demand that from everybody else on the roster below them. I think, I think the best example of what you said, and, and I'm using this going into the next series, is Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. They're both undersized compared to what their matchups will be like against the Nuggets. You got Bam versus Jokic, undersized. Then you have Jamal Murray, who's bigger or taller, MPJ, if Jimmy's kind of guarding him, who are both, you know, in, in that sense, in terms of height, they have a height advantage. And so I, I think it's really interesting that Spo brings up the concept of want and, and being able to do those things. No, don't get me wrong, Jackson. There is definitely a scheme component to this. The Heat are very good at zone for a specific reason because they don't just play a normal kind of zone. They play a zone that's based off of taking away gaps, taking away easy passing reads or driving lanes that the opposing team likes to do. So whatever driving lanes based off of data and analytics that they've seen that the Celtics like to do, they made sure that their zone filled in those gaps to make it a lot more difficult for the Celtics to be able to solve. That's the name of the game. Now, but the want part is important. And I want to highlight Bam Adebayo in this, in that he is not just kind of that good individual defender. In my opinion, where he's been the best is as a team defender. And that's a challenge I have for Jabari Smith. Jabari can be a good individual defender. But for me to be able to t- look at him and say, hey, he's met his potential as that as that great defensive guy, he has to transform, I think, into more of that BAM role. That BAM can kind of take on that middle of the floor, right, that he's been doing with Miami. If Jabari can do the same thing and kind of just, you know, play, play shell, play a shell defense in a way where they're just kind of collapsing and taking away the paint and staying in front, I think that's a huge win. For the Rockets, you know Jabari has that attitude, so that's not the thing. How can they? How can he channel that attitude towards success on the defensive end? The same way that Bam channels his attitude into success on the defensive end. That to me is is one comparison that I would like to make as a challenge to Jabari Smith to be able to do. And I think so much of it is so much of it for Bam as well, and the success that he's able to have is one. He is in that spot, right? He, he is occupying the five spot on the floor, right? So he is kind of the defensive anchor. We've seen Jabari occupy that role with the Rockets from time to time when they either go small or in the games where he starts at the five with Alper and Shingun like out or whatever. So that is one, you know, different kind of wrinkle is how do Jabari and Shingun manage to coexist on the floor with one another? Because the way the Miami Heat run their defense, right? They do that weird, you know, zone coverage where they take away gaps and they've got really great, perimeter defenders who are great in that scheme to then force guys into the paint where then you've got Bam who is just patrolling the paint, right? The moment the shell gets broken and somebody either dribble drives and attacks or they pass the ball to the middle of the floor to try and break the zone, Bam is there on the money every time, right? Great contests. He's taking away that middle of the floor. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the name of the game here with 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 why that zone is so successful, Right. And, and I, I think that's a challenge going to this Rocket season, even if they play switch, right, which is something Ime Udoka like to do a lot with the Celtics. Can the Rockets, with their can they build and establish a culture where their best players, not just Jabari, but also Jalen, 
are staying in front of their man. Switching is all about staying in front, Jackson. We saw that successfully with the Rockets in 2017, 2018. You guide the switch. You physically guide the switch, and you stay in front of your the offensive player. Can the Rockets do that? Can they challenge and create their own little kind of Miami Heat uh, culture to be able to do that? What are we? What are we, we can't just call it hashtag Rockets culture. We got to come up with a we got to come up with a cute a cutesy little name for it. We can't just completely copy the Heat and, and call it. Uh, well, you know, in the YouTube comments, give us some give us some good ideas for what we're going to call it when the Rockets start defending at an elite level. We need a Rockets Udoka name. Udoka Universe. Udoka Universe. I need a boo on the soundboard. That was trash. Oh, my. Uh, the, the oh, my is going to have to suffice for that. That was, that was awful. One other point that I wanted to bring up about the Miami Heat, and they, this this has been a storyline for a bunch of the playoffs, and they, they don't ever skip out on mentioning it, but I do think it, it, it bears repeating, is the Heat have a bunch of undrafted guys on their roster. And I think it kind of goes to show you that and those guys specifically, Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, Caleb Martin, Duncan Robinson, all undrafted guys who are contributing at a very, very high level for right now for the Miami Heat, uh, who are finals bound, right? I mean, this is a team that has dealt with missing significant key contributors. They lost major pieces throughout the season. They're currently playing without Tyler Harrow, without Victor Oladipo, like key contributors for their team. And at no point did they ever, woe is me, whatever. No, they just next man up mentality. And as much of a cliche as it sounds, I think that when you look at what the Heat have built and the culture that they've kind of developed over there is it's very much they have an expectation of what their role players are going to be able to deliver and give them on a nightly basis to where you you pointed out before and highlighted, right? You know, Eric Spolster might be the best coach in the entire NBA right now. He just has a certain knack, and I think Miami has done a great job of this, of finding talent that has been maybe overlooked elsewhere and then developing that talent in-house and making those guys really strong contributors of what is now a finals-bound team. So even if you're the Houston Rockets right now, there are other elements to team building besides just nailing the top part of the draft, right? Where else are you able to find talent at the margins? Where else can you find guys? And, and I do think that at least up to this point, Rafael Stone has done a decent enough job of, of kind of maybe finding some guys that other teams have either overlooked or, or identifying talent via through the draft or, you know, he's found talent elsewhere. I know, you know, He's a polarizing figure, but you can't deny KPJ's talent as far as what Rafael Stone kind of saw there. Getting KJ Martin with the 52nd overall pick, finding Jay Sean Tate overseas. There is enough like reason to be confident that the Rockets have their scouting department in a position to where they might be able to find some of those pieces later on as the team starts to progress and get better and better and better. And they need to be able to find maybe, you know, an eighth or a ninth man type guy to come off the bench or a guy that they can grow and develop into a more prominent role. That's exactly what the Miami Heat have done with a number of these guys and that's at least hopefully something that the Rockets are going to be able to do further down the line um, I, yeah I like one quick comparison sure I, reading about it the Miami Heat uh, G League team I believe is in South Dakota uh, the Rockets G League team is not that quite far away it's still in Texas but Texas is a large state it's down towards the valley uh, when you go there even in the G League there's a a culture of hard work and having to be able to earn your minutes, even if you're down there. And I think the Rockets do a really good job of that, which is a big reason why the Rockets are a good G league franchise. And, and if you talk to players, you talk to coaches who come from there, there is that kind of sense that that culture setting that exists even down there. And I hope that what we're seeing from the G league perspective and success there 
and how they're trying to establish a culture and identity among players before they come to the big club is something maybe we see transition with this big with the Rockets going into the season to see that parallel between not just the G League team but also the NBA team as well the same way we see with the Miami Heat. That's a great point. Um, also, South Dakota culture doesn't have exactly the same ring to it as as Heat culture. So I don't even know what the Heat's G League team name is off the top of my head. But it, just thinking about South Dakota culture is, is super funny. You're Googling it. You're not going to get it before I transition to our next segment. Because coming up, we're going to talk a little bit about the Boston Celtics and the Denver Nuggets and what we've learned from those two teams as it applies and relates back to your Houston Rockets. We're going to get there in just one moment. And final segment here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Now, I let you steer the bus for a second. We talked Miami Heat first, and and I do think, you know, some good lessons to be learned from them from the defensive side of things, how they've kind of developed talent with their undrafted guys, all that. I want to focus here on the Celtics, who just flamed out in impressive fashion in Game 7 at home in front of their, in front of their fans at TD Garden. And Jalen Brown had a very uninspiring game seven performance, eight turnovers forced by that Miami defense that we just spent a little while praising. Um, I will say for the record that despite Jalen Brown's rough game seven performance, um, I would still very much enjoy having him in a Rockets jersey. Uh, I don't know if I would want to forego trading a whole bunch of assets to go get him right now, though. And I also don't necessarily know if the Celtics are going to. <laughs> you know what? Number four pick, all the Nets picks, Shingoon, Jalen Green, and Jabari Smith Jr. for uh, Jalen Brown and Peyton Pritchard. How's that? That seems like a fair deal. Honestly, I'd do it. <laughs> yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yes, you would. Because, uh, hey, you, you just the, something about the athletic, man. You, we got <laughs> we, we to keep you all away from the damn trade machine. Anyways. All right. No, so... What I do want to, you know, I, Jalen Brown, still a quality player, right? He, he struggled in that role. And, and you brought up a point there in segment two, talking about Bam and Jimmy playing separate positions, right? And I do think that's a factor that plays into where Boston struggles kind of are, is that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are very duplicative of each other, right? There's not really a way that those two guys make each other better, or they, they kind of occupy the same role on the court, right? They're dynamic wing scorers. And when you look at other teams that have made like the deep postseason runs, they have guys who kind of occupied different roles on their team, right? You look at the Nuggets with Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. You look at the Heat with Butler and Bam Adebayo. You look at even uh, the other teams that were in play, right? LeBron and AD, uh, James Harden, Joel Embiid, right? All these duos that kind of cover different areas of the floor and provide a different way to complement each other's games. And, Charles Barkley went in on the Boston Celtics after they lost game seven because he basically said they are an incredibly talented group, but they rely, they have an over-reliance on their talent, right? They go out there and they they just think that they're just going to be better and more talented than the other team and they rely too much on that and they also rely too much on the three ball to where they've they've got, they've basically fallen in love with hoisting three-point shots and they're not looking for quality three-point shots anymore. They're just trying to get up as many of them as possible. The latter part of that sounds pretty familiar from, you know, previous eras of Houston Rockets basketball where you thought you could just outmath an opponent. And then lo and behold, when you miss 27 threes in a row, um, bad stuff tends to happen if you don't have high quality, good quality shots being generated within your offense. 
But the first part of that also sounds very reminiscent of what we saw this last season with Jalen Green and KPJ, right? Is at times a lot of the Rockets system just boiled down to Jalen and Kevin are going to try and out-talent their opponent, and they are very, very talented players, so sometimes it works. But oftentimes it fell apart. Now, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are quite a bit more talented than Jalen Green and, and KPJ at this stage in their careers, so it works uh, quite a bit more often for those two guys. But you don't see the Celtics really doing anything or doing much right now to generate high quality offense, right? Consistently good offense. A lot of it just boils down to Jalen or Jason trying to penetrate a defense and make something happen. And I think that is an important takeaway is when Ime was there, he prided it, you know, that Celtics team on having ball movement and sharing the basketball and having some simple actions to get guys involved. And I think they've gone away from a lot of that with Joe Missoula, unfortunately. And the, the whole concept of randomness is, is effective when randomness comes from consistent ball movement and player movement, right? That's where randomness at its best. You don't want just randomness where you're attacking a mismatch repeatedly, and if it's not successful, then not going anything else. I mean, that's kind of what happened with the Celtics at times. They would get good shots, but the consistency of getting the good shots or how long it took to get good shots, you know, it took too long. Miami sometimes will would see something that the Celtics would do. One possession, it would be successful, then Miami would throw zone, kind of throw them off, and then once Boston figured out, oh, wait, we were doing something that was successful, let's go back to it, Miami already had a counter for it. And so it's it's like you have to be consistent with that kind of thing to be able to move forward. I, I really like the, the point you made about both being wing scorers. I heard a comparison this weekend about the Celtics, and I thought it was really interesting. The Celtics are like the Clippers of the Eastern Conference, and in, in which mm. you have dynamic wing scorers. You you have, you know, you, you have bigs who you hope can kind of, or wings that can kind of play around them, right? You can play small. Celtics are a little different, though, that you have Robert Williams. And then, and, and the biggest difference to me personally is you have Marcus Smart. You have a true pass, uh, pat, a guy who can pass the basketball, but can also shoot the three and play well off of your other two main guys and play well defensively. But I, I really thought the Clippers comparison was, uh, was super unique. And also one more thing on the whole Jalen and KPJ thing that I thought was interesting. Somebody told me who, who, who works in a front office that Jalen does a lot of the same things that KPJ does. And last year we saw too much where during games, one would take on the responsibilities that, I mean, so you have two players playing the same position technically just based on what he saw and that you have one player overshadowing the other and the other player did not know how to play off of the other player. Yeah. Right. And we've talked about this, but I just thought it was interesting that somebody for another organization was, you know, looking at it from that, from that lens as well. And so when you're going into the season, it kind of goes back to what I talked about hierarchy, right? Figuring out, like in Boston, your hierarchy is what? You have Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and everybody else, right? Which has helped them be successful in a structured setting like they had with Ime Yudoka. What is the Rockets' hierarchy, right? In Miami, you have a hierarchy, but you play off of that hierarchy, right? Celtics did not do that enough. They didn't play off the hierarchy 
successfully. And what's and, and what's maddening, and I'm sorry, I'm mean, to, to interject here for a moment is just, and this is what we you know was frustrated about for the entirety of the last season is it seemed like the Rockets have different options to go to, different ways that they can play with a different hierarchy, right? Where Jalen is clearly, no matter what direction you're going to go, Jalen is going to be your number one guy, but. In that hierarchy, maybe Jabari is your number two or Shingoon is your number two and you use more of the, that two-man game between Jalen and Jabari or Jalen and Shingoon because that gives you a different look rather than the duplicative nature of Jalen and KPJ being the exact same player. For all of our audio audience, Ali Khan is over here just waving his hands around. He's like, he gets it. He understands. He's Yeah, that's... Look, we've... we've ranted about this for an entire year and it does sound like emo doka right in some of the the you know the q a sessions that he did with jonathan fagan and kelly eco it sounds like he's already identified some of the strengths of the guys on this roster and understands hey i've got some really unique uniquely skilled players and i'm gonna have these guys playing off of each other to play to their strengths um and it is really exciting to see what he's gonna be able to do to kind of unlock that and our last comparison here is actually to the denver nuggets and the fact that they have Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray. And when you look at what Jokic and Murray are able to accomplish in the two-man game that they play with each other and, and how they play off of one another, um, the Rockets have pieces that can accomplish a similar thing, right? Obviously, you don't want to try and put the weight of the world on Alper and Shingun's shoulders and be like, hey, you're the next Jokic, right? You got this, right? But like, that's that's an unfair expectation, unfair precedent to set. But a lot of the same skill sets are there. So even if he's a even if his ceiling is a poor man's Jokic, that's still an incredibly talented player that you can unlock a lot of really special stuff offensively, especially if you throw a Jalen Green or a Kevin Porter Jr. into that Jamal Murray-esque role playing off of Alper and Shingun. I, I really like the few things that Denver does, and I hope the Rockets try to emulate. Number one is they go whenever they need a bucket, whenever the offense gets stagnant, whenever anything is going on or struggling, they go to their best two players running their best play. And what is that, Jackson? That's an empty corner pick and roll or empty corner dribble handoff between Jokic and Murray. Something that the Rockets, when they ran it with Jalen Green and Alperin Shengun, had really good points for possession. East, like Not just their first season together, but even last season. It, it, it's a, I, I really like that similarity. Because Murray and Jokic both came off the bench in their first season playing together, and they've kind of evolved that game over time. I really like what I'm seeing from Jalen and Alp, and I hope we see more of it uh, going into the season. Second point I want to make is you're surrounding who you consider to be your best players with players that complement them. You know Jamal can make his own shot, but you also surround him with a, a bigger wing who can help him defensively. You surround him with a shooter who can be a movement shooter and off-the-catch shooter. You're surrounding him with bench guys who can complement him and also provide him some different skill sets as well. well. And can I can I add a quick, uh, just a quick aside to the point that you're making right now about the, the complementary pieces? Denver didn't just establish all these complementary pieces overnight, and I think that's something that's important for Rockets fans to understand is they identified pretty early on, oh, Jokic is, is the guy, right? He's, he's the goods, all that. We're going to... We're going to go with him. And then they slowly but surely, right, they added Jamal Murray to the mix and they added MPJ to the mix. And they're like, okay, this is our talented core trio, right? This is like our, our big three. What do we need to put around these guys to like elevate them even, even further? And that's when they identified and went out and they got an Aaron Gordon, right? That's when they went out and then they traded for and got uh, 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 Contavious Caldwell Pope, KCP. And then they added Bruce Brown, right? They added all these other 
you know, supplementary pieces to then iron out the rest of the roster, but it took patience and it took time for them to identify, okay, we've got our cornerstone. Cool. Who's next on the list? All right, Jamal, bet. Okay, who's next on the list? MPJ, cool. And then they they identified over time and drafted and and, and built that trio. And then once they knew for sure that that trio was what they wanted to build upon, then they went out and got all the other complementary pieces to go along with those guys. And now they're a finals bound team, right? And Jokic is what seventh, eighth season in the NBA. So, you know, it took some time. They had to take their lumps. They dealt with some health issues beforehand, right? Jamal, like working his way back after the impressive bubble performance that he had a few years ago, like all that they dealt with the adversity, but now they're finally at a place where the health is, is good. It's all where it needs to be. And they're on the verge of winning a title and they're favorites against the heat right now. So, right. So it took a little bit of time, but from that component, the roster construction, I think is very important to, to take note of. And also just the concept of having a coach who steps in and kind of guides your transition from the talent accumulation to where they are now. And you allow the coach to grow with those young players, same way the Rockets are hoping that Emei does with these young players as well, helping them kind of transition to that role. And the point you made about picking Jokic early on, I think to me that's the one thing I'm looking forward to most this season is figuring out who is a part of this Rockets core moving forward. Not just the hierarchy, but the high the hierarchy will for me will just determine ultimately who do they see as a part of this group? Is it just Jabari and Jalen and Alpi and Tari? Is there a room for Tai Tai? Is there a room for Jay Sean? Is there room for KJ? Is there room for Garuba? Josh Christopher? What's gonna happen in terms of this core group moving forward? Who's staying, who's leaving? Odds are Jackson. Most of these seven first-round picks from the last two years will not be on this team. I think maybe three or four of them max, right? So who are those players? Who's going to stay? Who's going to be a part of this core group moving forward? That's what I'm most excited about seeing. And I think with Denver, patience is needed. But once you've established that, once you've gone all in, hey, you know what? We believe in this player. We believe in these players to help us. Now it's time for us to be able to kind of surround them to be successful. Maybe that happens this offseason. Who are they looking at? Who are they trying to bring in to maybe – are they going to be bridge veterans to bridge them into the future future kind of of what they want to play like or what they want to be? Or are they going to bring in established guys who can be here for three, four years who are now a part of that process as well? Yeah, I, I, I don't see it happening this offseason. I don't think that's – like I think we're a little still early in the process. I think this next year, Emo's first year, is going to be the year where he identifies, okay – this guy is is my number one. This guy is my number two. Like of the young talent that is here, and that's that's also why there's that argument for. We went an entire episode without mentioning his name, but here we are at the end. James Harden, right? You bring him back, and he at least, depending on the way that the Rockets might utilize his skill set, right? He can be a guy that helps you identify. Okay, this is what this type of player can look like as we play competitive basketball. We've got a guy setting the table for him. Jalen can be a tier one option guy, and he can be getting us. 30 plus a night on good efficiency, but he has to have a guy who's setting the table for him for him to be able to do that. So then what do we do? Clearly James Harden is on the way out of his NBA career, right? So he's not going to be your long-term fix, but once you find a guy who's, who's providing you that, then okay, how do we get the next guy? Even if he's a slightly lesser version of what James Harden is, but clearly we need that archetype of player to unlock Jalen or to unlock Shingun or to do this or that, whatever, to, to make all these pieces fit together in, in beautiful harmony, all that kind of stuff. So I think that's that's a really good point. I think that's the type of context that 
we should be looking at when we're approaching whether or not to bring James back. Yep, there we go. Can't believe we made it almost an entire episode without mentioning he who must not be named, the bearded one. And we got all the way to the very end, and we we had to mention. Yeah, there we go. Do a little little, little beard little little beard check on the podcast. <laughs> Not be named since I have a beer too, Jackson. Oh my God! All right. On that note, you know the drill, Alicon. Let everybody know where to track you down at. Follow me on Twitter at Rockets underscore Insider. Make sure you're putting in the comments what what we should name Rockets Culture. You us you done it. Oh no! Oh no! No! Oh my! That's going to do it for another edition of Locked on Rockets. As always, thank you so much for checking out the show. If you haven't done so yet, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube to search Locked on Rockets. Be sure to like, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. But as always, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.